0: Welcome to Think Orphan, the podcast for orphan excellence, real talk with real people navigating the global orphan crisis. Let's join our hosts, Phil Dark and Dr. Karen Hutchison.
1: Welcome to the Think Orphan podcast. We're so excited to have you back this week. Um, just like the last few weeks, Karen is uh, taking a little break for the summer. And so this week we have another special treat. A few weeks ago, I was able to have Rick Morton on the show, and we just had a conversation that was, you know, for me, it was very life-giving. I hope it was very life-giving for you folks out there. Um, and today we get to do the same thing, and I'm so excited um, today to have my, my good friend Peter Greer and he and uh, Chris Horst. And uh, and Peter, help me out with the, the woman's name that uh, helped you guys out on that book. Yeah, Jill Heise. Jill Heise. Jill, the three of them put together this fantastic book called Rooting for Rivals. If you haven't picked it up out there, go grab it. And after this conversation, I have a feeling you're going to be, you know, probably during the conversation, you're going to be ordering it. Because it's something that is so good, and if you listen to this show and you're a part of this community and you've been engaged in the conversation, collaboration is so important to everything that we're doing. And it's not just talking about it, but really, really doing it and living it and believing it, and uh, just you know, just really being able to empower others to do kingdom building work. So, Peter, how the heck are you today, man? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. This is a lot of fun to connect yeah. with you again. Yeah, it should be a great time. So we're just going to ask each other some questions. We're gonna, it's free-flowing conversation. Neither of us know uh, what, we're, what we're asking or uh, what we're going to be talking about necessarily except the general idea of collaboration So and in, in the book, of course. We're going to talk about that too. So I want to kick it off a little bit, uh, Peter. For those, those of you who listen to the show, you know that I'm a, I'm a soccer player. I'm a soccer coach. I absolutely uh, love the game, and I love what it can teach us about life as well. And Peter, you, too, uh, played soccer growing up. You played in college at Messiah College in in Pennsylvania. And, uh, you know, I just want to hear from you a little bit and and share with our audience what uh, soccer has taught you about working as a teammate and working together with others and the importance of that in the work that we're doing around the world today.
0: Well, I hope that you are still going strong uh, as a player. couple of years ago I, I busted my ankle in an over 40 league and although that didn't totally end the career it uh, it, it definitely changed it right. a little bit but soccer has been a, a huge part of my life it is the beautiful game and uh, it has been a whole lot of fun even to have the world cup fever uh, hit our home Absolutely. and uh, many other homes uh, recently as well and, um, yeah, it was a big part of my life growing up. and And I think part of part of uh, what I love about whether it's soccer or, or any of the sport, i i I love the idea of competition, the idea of of doing your best and having people that are pushing you. And then I've always been a big fan of team sports and trying to figure out how can we as a team uh, not just um, perform well on the field, but, But it's some of my deepest lifelong friendships are the friendships that I've developed uh, there as well. So grew up loving uh, the game, grew up loving the competition, grew up loving the sport. Um, And uh, I probably, um, for people that know me well would probably describe me as a fairly competitive person Um, and an interesting thing happened as I joined Hope International I think that spirit of competition came with me into my role at Hope and uh, I remember early on uh, hearing uh, about another organization that was growing really really quickly so I looked online and found out their growth rates and I put their growth rates on my wall And I was measuring my relative success or failure based on how they were doing. Mm -hmm. And this was another uh, Christian organization. And yet I had slipped into this idea that they are the competition, that this other organization. And anytime we slip into a mode of comparison, I believe everyone loses. Um, and so I think there actually has been some of the positive things about loving athletics has had a bit of a negative impact uh, in the way that I led at Hope, where I would look at other organizations and primarily see them not as my brothers and sisters committed to the same cause, following the same God, but as individuals that, that uh, I need to somehow compete against. Mm-hmm. And competition either leads to a feeling of... Superiority or inferiority—it right. it either yeah. leads you to feel like welled up with pride because look how we're doing, or it leads to a place of almost de- despondency, saying, "Well, I'm—I can't compete with them." And so I I think there is a a spirit of competition that actually is undermining our impact that I've been spending the last little time trying to understand where does this come from and then how do we make sure that we have a broader definition of who our team is. Mm -hmm. Our team is not just the people with the same logos on our shirts and on our business card. We have a much bigger and better team than that.
1: Absolutely. No, and, and as far as my playing days, they are... They're limited. Let's say, let's say they're limited. I'm, I'm, you know, a bit older, a bit older. The body recovers a lot slower, and uh, you know, I, I'm not taking any performance enhancing drugs to be able to keep me going uh, longer than uh, than I should be. So, but I still have fun. Love coaching it. Love being out there with my kids, and and you know, every so often getting on the field and playing a little bit. So it's uh, it is a good time to be able to shoot the ball and, and get out there and, and and you know you you said it i think so well just as far as the idea of you know comparison i think competition can make you so much better and it can help to hone your skills it can help you to push yourself to your limits and all of that but when you when you see it as kind of the comparison with others and you're competing for it goes to the book too and we'll talk about the if you have a, a you know a uh uh basically a scarcity mindset versus an abundance mindset, right? So if you have that competition with the scarcity mindset, then you have a comparison. Well, I'm not as good as so-and-so rather than I'm created differently than them, right? You know, and so I see that with my daughter all the time with her in soccer, where she's like, I'm not as good as them. Well, you're comparing their best to your worst. And, you know, you hear so much, the comparison is the thief of joy, you know, and that is so true. And I think you, you had a, a blog post a few years ago as well, and I, th- I believe it was the story that you started the book with, but I, I know it's somewhere in the book, but we had a blog post, Ministry Comparison Equals a Losing Game, and it was talking about Scott Harrison and how you were comparing yourself to Charity Water and what they were doing, and, and you know where on one hand, seeing what they're doing and pushing you to be better is, is really good, but to go, well, I'm not that good because I'm not doing that. It's, it's nuanced. It's a fine line, but it's so important to understand the difference and to make sure that we are doing that, you know, that differently. So can you speak to that a little bit? just, you know, that kind of that, that story, um, and, uh, the idea of, you know, if we're comparing ourselves to each other in a way that is, that isn't uh, healthy, how it can literally be destructive to, to our ministry. Yeah, I love the proverb that talks
0: about how envy rots the bones, mm. <laughs> literally rots the bones, yeah. uh, and and uh, really do believe that 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 is the impact of envy. or As Jesus said, a house divided can't stand. Um, this whole idea that when we see the competition as our brothers and sisters, uh, we undermine the credibility of the God that we serve. Um, and that's what Jesus's prayer in John 17 is all about, that we might be one an um, uncommon unity in a divided world uh, is is what we aspire to be. And so I really do think uh, as one of the reasons why we don't collaborate, one of the reasons why we don't partner together uh, is this idea of, of comparison. And uh, the story that you're referencing, I remember it very clearly. Uh, it was uh, one of the first times I was invited to speak at a conference. And so I was sitting near the front and who goes up but uh, Scott Harrison who has uh, the most compelling story <laughs> about his personal journey in starting Charity Water and uh, compelling business model. And as he is going on and on, I had never heard him speak before <laughs> and I am just sinking lower and lower in my chair thinking how in the world Can I compete with that as if this was some sort of a talent competition uh, that that individuals are going to be voted for uh, or is this this is a version of certain. survivor as if this was going to be, uh, someone's going to be voted off the island. And at that point, I knew who it was going to (laughs) be on that. And so this idea of envy, it just rots the bones. It was really interesting. The person uh, sitting next to me, uh, uh, Sharna, could tell that I was feeling uh, you know, a little bit. And uh, she just said in such a beautiful way, she she said, do you do realize this is not a competition, right? Like you do (laughs) realize that more for uh the cause of Christ more more clean water does not mean less microfinance right right it means more good that's happening around the world right. and uh to your point i think a lot of the uh competition a lot of envy it stems from this idea that the world uh, is a world of scarcity, not a world of abundance.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: If we see the world through the lens of scarcity, that when someone else uh, receives recognition, when someone else receives uh, some wonderful good for their good cause, it, again, it doesn't mean less for, for us, it means more for the kingdom, and that's something to celebrate. And so, increasingly, when I show up at events, I wanna be someone who is so actively and intentionally praying for whoever is giving their message that God right. would bless them in, in crazy ways. Mm-hmm. Um, and afterwards, I don't wanna obsess about my performance, about oh, what did I do and what what worked and what didn't. I, I wanna spend my time uh, focused externally, not, as Tim Keller says, you know, not thinking too highly of myself, not thinking too low of myself, just thinking of myself less um, and celebrating what is happening through so many others that are doing good work and Phil, I want you to know I'm cheering for you. I love what you are doing, the message that you have, the ministry that you have, and all you are doing to make sure that kids have homes mm-hmm. uh, around the world. so yeah i I, I want to be the biggest cheerleader and fan of, yeah. uh, of of other great causes and great organizations
1: absolutely and, and and I tell people this all the time. It makes it so much more fun too, right? I mean, how much more fun is it when you can literally like celebrate every good thing that's happening with every other organization. And also, mourn with those who mourn, right? If somebody's struggling with something, we can come alongside in that relationship and encourage them because we've all been there, right? You know, so that's something that I love having conversations with some of our brothers and sisters doing this work all around the world, and they're saying, you know, even if it's just us getting on the phone together and encouraging each other, even if it's just saying, hey, how you doing? I know I understand. And you actually know that the other person does understand, right? I mean, how... Encouraging is that when we see each other as part of the same team, when we see each other as if you succeed, I succeed. And if you're struggling, I'm struggling and let's do this together, you know, and that's that's what team's about, right? And, the, and if we really believe that we're doing kingdom building work, then it should absolutely be that way. There should be no, shoot, we didn't get that gift. How come we didn't get that matching grant? How come we, or why did they get that speaking ability when I feel like I'm, you know, going down rabbit trails every three seconds, you know, like what, but we are all wired differently. Right. And that's a great thing because we're all part of this different team. I realized I neglected to uh, let you all know out there because normally we do a little intro before the interview, but. Peter has been on the show a couple times, so if you, if you're wondering right now, we're a little bit into the interview, and you're going, "Who the heck is this guy talking to Phil today?" Well, Peter is not only a great friend of mine, but he he runs a, he's the president president's official title CEO, president of Hope International. I don't know, they all, it's all it's it's always something that I forget, you know, executive director, CEO, president. We're all kind of doing the same things, but call them different things. So. Um, I'll let you go online to hope, uh, hope right? Is that the website? That's correct. To, and you can listen to, I believe it's the third episode of the podcast. Peter was on, he was also on and he talks about hope in that interview. He talks about his, uh, his book, spiritual danger of doing good and forty forty vision. And in a later interview, talks about self, um, care and the importance of that. And then today we're talking about obviously this idea of collaboration. So, Peter is the first person to have been on here as an interviewee three times. Um, you know, so that that's something. I don't know what that means. <laughs> You really, you know, it might not be the biggest deal, but, you know, it's something. So you got that it going for you you're today. It means
0: kind to me. It means you're good friends, and I appreciate well, it. Well,
1: it also means you're the real deal. I mean, you're not writing a book on something you don't believe and you don't live out. And so that's something that, you know, you are a guy who, you know, we – Are able to text each other and encourage each other. We're able to. We actually share an anniversary, like literally the same day in history on December thirtieth, two thousand. So, there aren't many people doing this work that we can say that. So that's something too, right? You know, um, you know all these things. Again, what do they mean in the big picture? Probably absolutely nothing, but it's something we have going for us. So, um, you know, so all of that. I just want to make sure you folks out there know that you can go check out all the great work Hope's doing. You can listen to those other interviews, but. I didn't. I didn't want to forget to do that as I was thinking the last couple questions. I forgot to do that. So let's move on. You know, we've been talking about this idea of scarcity and abundance, and you know, the the idea is really fleshed out in the book um, by a two by two chart. And you have you know kingdom and clan and abundance and scarcity. And can you just share for our audience? And obviously, they don't have the visual. Hopefully, they'll go get the book and get the visual, but it's not hard to make this two by two chart. So, if you could um, just kind of flesh that out a little bit for them and and so that they have that mental picture as they're listening to the rest of the interview.
0: Yeah, well, I'm one of the people that. Uh, whenever possible likes to plot things on two by twos. Uh, I think that's what I took away from my graduate school education was how to make a two by two. It seemed like every class was uh, somehow included that. Uh, But I I do like it because it's the idea of on one uh, simple um, way framing two different perspectives or two different worldviews and then realizing that you have four different possibilities Mm -hmm. in them. And so, yeah, exactly as you said, uh, there's this idea about do we believe that our primary calling is to our organization. Um, Our responsibility ends at the uh, bounds of our organization, or do we believe that we have a bigger and broader mission that is really about the kingdom of God? So that's one worldview. Are we about the kingdom or our little club or our little clan? And then the second uh, question is, do we believe in a world of abundance or a world of scarcity? And that two by two, there was actually a whole lot that went into it in terms of interviewing the most generous, uh, open-handed leaders that we could find. People that were living differently and the people that we would see as having an impact on their organization and an impact on the broader sector. And we tried to figure out what is it that they believe uh, differently uh, from the rest of us that have a harder time really living that out. And so we found that this these were the defining questions. Um, uh, they believed in a bigger and broader mission uh, that extended beyond their organization and they refused to believe that this world is a world of scarcity. Um, and so I remember uh, someone like Melissa Russell, who works for IJM, um, and uh, it was really interesting that she had a friend who called her after the ice bucket challenge um, and uh, was basically saying, Oh, I'm so glad, you know, for this momentum, but I wish that was for all that attention, all that focus was for IJM. And again, in a world of scarcity, that makes sense right. that if there's a certain amount of of attention, if someone else gets it, it means there's less for you. But Melissa flipped that conversation and and she looked at it from the perspective of a mom Uh, who had kids and imagining what would it be like to be a mom who had a child uh, that had uh, ALS. And imagine uh, the impact that you'd be feeling right now. And so her perspective was not an organization centric uh, perspective. It was allowing herself to look at this uh, and to really celebrate the success through the lens of someone who would be wrestling or dealing with that issue. And I think that's always the challenge uh, is to reject the scarcity mindset and uh, that allows you to celebrate uh, the wins of other organizations. And Mm -hmm. so in that response, um, it was so fun to look at leaders of other organizations participating uh, in that. And I wanna continue to figure out those ways about how do we, when there's momentum uh, going behind another organization, how do we, how do we help advance that as opposed to just sitting back and resenting their success Mm -hmm. uh, in in some small way?
1: Absolutely. No. and, And it was interesting the other day I was, I was actually in Honduras, got back yesterday and, uh, I was having a conversation with a, with a friend in a different ministry and she was talking about some different things and different projects. And she's like, I mean, if it's okay that we work together on this, are you okay? And I go, am I okay? Absolutely. That's the only way to do it. Right. It's like, if we're going to do this and we're going to be successful, we have to do that. We, I mean, we, we need to, because we're, we're limited in what we're gifted in. We're limited in our resources. We're limited in you know, what our purpose is, what our mission is. I mean, going back to your book, Mission Drift, right? I mean, if we start trying to do everything, we'll necessarily drift from our mission. And so, you know, when we really understand the way the world works, it's a necessity to do collaboration, to really do great work. But then when we also see the joy you get from it, it's it's like win, win, win. Go back to a uh, office episode I just watched recently. You know, you have <laughs> the win-win, the win-win-win um, of of mediation. So um, that's a completely random reference, folks. If you don't watch The Office, I apologize. If you do, you're laughing right now because you remember the episode. So, um, but let's let's move. Uh, you know, the the uh, the book also has in each of the two by two squares, um, kind of the matching seven deadly sins that are, that are, that go with that, um, worldview, so to speak. Um, so as we go through the rest of this conversation, we're going to be talking a little bit about that, but some of the, one of the other things before we get to that though, and kind of go and diving into those, those different deadly sins and, and how we can, you know, work against them, uh, uh, causing, um, problems and issues and strongholds of the enemy, um, I want to just ask you a question. Like, do you believe that it's just human nature for us to root for another's failure? Um, And I mean, I think about my kids, right? And we're sitting at a table and somebody says, oh, I got A's on the thing. And everyone's like, well, that's because you're whatever, you know, or that's an easy class or, you know, and it's not like a default mode to celebrate, Um, it doesn't seem, and, and do you think that that's like human nature? Do you think it's certain personality types? What, what do you think that is as you've seen? I mean, I know I have my thoughts on it, but I want to hear your thoughts, especially after researching it and just really thinking about these issues deeply. Um, what do you, what do you think about that? I want to hear your thoughts, uh, on that. (laughs) I I asked the question, so I hear yours first (laughs) and then I get to like, say, yeah, I agree. Yeah, at the end. That's how it works here.
0: <laughs> I don't know about that. But, uh, yeah, you know, I, I, I certainly think there are some people that are wired more towards uh, competition. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are people that... Uh, we all have our our relative strengths, and we all have uh, challenges and issues. Uh, so I, I don't know, kind of categorically, um, why why this issue is so real, but I think that was part of our research was mm-hmm. to try and figure out. So what are the issues that contribute? Uh, to to a lack of collaboration. What are the reasons why this is not the default posture for all of us to be open-handed and generous with each other? And so, uh, in in looking at uh, this, we did uh, base the book on this list of of, uh, of of issues that has been around for a very long time. Uh, the Desert Fathers uh, were kind of credited with coming up with this idea of seven deadly sins and I think their staying power throughout history might give us some indication that they are part of our condition to your question mm-hmm. so I do think that we do struggle with them uh, they are part of the human experience for all of us and we probably rank them differently there probably are some that we identify with more uh, than others uh, some it's 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 more about pride uh, some it's more about envy be some it's so all kinds of of issues but then we tried to not only Name what inhibits us, but then to celebrate what's the countermeasure to that? So, if greed is an issue, uh, how do we see more open-handed generosity to others? And if that's it's if that's a sticking issue that stops you from being more open-handed and collaborative, how do you actively and intentionally posture, um, practice the posture of of organizational generosity? Mm-hmm. And, and so one way might be to actually have if you're in, fundraising to have one of your goals to be uh, how can you fundraise for another organization. Right. Uh, practice that level of generosity. How can you actively support your rival organizations? And that was one of the fun parts of, of the book, uh, that uh, the, the the proceeds, um, which we hope there are proceeds, uh, <laughs> that they uh, come to support. Hope and a portion are going to support our quote-unquote rival organizations. Right. Right. And that, that was, those were fun checks to write. Yeah. Uh, support uh, other organizations uh, even in the the way that the book uh, was designed as well so yeah I do think that those 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 seven deadly sins uh, they capture something that really is in all of us and I believe it's the uh, small, uh, aspects of these of these issues that really do erode from our ability to joyfully celebrate with the successes of, of others and not, as you said, there's a German word, I'm going to mispronounce it, but like schadenfreude, uh, this idea that we actually find joy in the misery of mm-hmm, another. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and uh, that also is part of the human condition right. uh, that is not uh, the right way for those of us that are brothers and sisters in Christ.
1: Right, absolutely. And I, I think that um. yeah I mean when I think of this I think it is you know you look at Romans 7 you, and, and Paul talking about it, the things I want to do I don't do and I do the things I don't want to do and and then you go to you know you, you really see the depravity of man you know and there's not no one is good no not one you know right and then yet we're washed by the blood of the lamb and we are made clean and we are to take on the mind of Christ but the only way we can do that and this is something that god has made really clear to me in the last several months just with different things and different studies i've been doing and different readings i've been doing and the idea of the only way our mind will be transformed and i say be transformed passively uh because it is a passive uh verb in romans twelve two, where it says be transformed by the renewal of your mind the Holy Spirit's the only one that's going to be doing that. And the only way the Holy Spirit will do that is if we surrender. We die to self, right? So Jesus says, die to self, pick up your cross daily and follow me. It's not a one-time deal that we say, okay, we're we're going to pick up our cross today and we're done. Um, it's not we pray a prayer, okay, sweet, we're done. No, it's a constant working our, you know, salvation out with fear and trembling. What does that look like, right? And so you look at Romans 12, 1, that's the you know in Romans 12:1 and 2 you hear that you know 12:2 talked about a lot renew your mind renew your mind renew your mind the way you hear it there it sounds like you are actively renewing your mind the problem is Romans 12:1 the only active verb before the renewal of the mind is offer and it's offer your body as a living sacrifice holy and pleasing to God so the only thing we are called to do and we are asked to do is surrender surrender to self die to self Take on the mind of Christ, basically, right? And then you go by the hymn of Christ, Philippians 2. And you have these, these commands to us that if we see them as a command, I think we miss the point. They're invitations to us. They're opportunities for us to really live and, and enjoy Christ and be able to co-labor with him, to be able to help make all things new, to be able to build shalom in our communities. And the only way we're going to have that is if we're all working together. You necessarily will not have shalom if you are competing against people for kingdom resources, right? We need to see kingdom resources as just that and ask the question, am I the right steward of this kingdom resource? What am I uniquely positioned to do? If these questions aren't answered with, yes, I am the right steward and I'm uniquely positioned to take this responsibility on then we need to l- not only let somebody else do it but help them to do it and encourage them to do it and cheer them on and rejoice with them when the, you know Romans 12 also has rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn it also has you know all kinds of other stuff about brotherly love and how we can live with each other and that is something that you know and that combine that with seeing the disk personality assessments and myers briggs and the enneagram and all these different things that people love to do today actually certain personality types love them other ones say that. i don't think they're that important so that's what's funny though too is you could kind of peg how who they are by how they take the test and how they see but that we are all wired differently we absolutely are and i am 100% convinced personality types like like mine, a high I personality who's people focused and outgoing, I'm going to be more of a unifier who's more of a collaborator. Whereas my son is, you know, he's, he loves teamwork, but he's a C task focused, reserved kid. He could go into his room and do, you know, an assignment by himself for three days and be totally fine. And all of the, us need to work together. And so to answer the question, you know, you say, you want to know my answer. I think that yes, we are wired to do certain way, things but Christ calls us to clothe ourselves with Christ. Right. And that's the only way that I think some people are more wired to do the teamwork, but everyone, if we are closing ourselves with Christ, will do that. And that's something that I think that a lot, of, I'm guessing just based on the fact that there's a lot of entrepreneurial minds in your book, that a lot of them are kind of D personalities that are kind of go after it type people that often leave people in the dust right? You know, you get your task done at the expense of people and you leave people in the wake. And I imagine that these men, uh, Christian men have said, you know what, I'm going to die to self in that. And I'm going to make sure that I'm not leaving people in my wake because that's the only way we're really going to be able to do this in a kingdom honoring and kingdom glorifying way. What do you think? I think you should have answered the question first.
0: (laughs) (laughs) No, I, yeah, no, well said. And, uh, Yeah. You know, one of the other fun parts of this uh, was to identify the issues, but then also to be on the lookout to identify people that lived and served differently. And there are some uh, remarkable, remarkable leaders uh, around the world that really are living and serving differently. Um, and uh, it, that, that I would say, was the best part of the whole book writing process, was having time to learn from these men and these women that are living and serving differently. Um, and, you know, one of the interesting examples was the whole space of Bible translation that I think has some necessary uh, teaching for all of us um, in what can happen when we start to rally around some of the common uh, goals. Um, but there was one foundation executive that had three different organizations approach him within a time span of a year, all asking for funding from the same foundation for the same translation for the same people group. And uh, you imagine, if those are just three that came to him, imagine how many other organizations might have also been working on that same uh, issue. So instead of collaborating, the impact was cut in, Mm -hmm. what, maybe a fifth? Maybe maybe less than that, because there was a lack of information and a lack of collaboration. And so a group of donors, a group of organizations said, let's change this. And so they committed to relationship to each other. They met Uh, at the airport every month uh, in Dallas as a way of uh, creating these relationships. They created a shared database uh, so that they could all have information about progress towards language and people group. And they had joint fundraising events. um, And the result of this was that they all estimated that the Bible was going to be translated into every language by the year 2150. Hmm. But after this collaboration, after this Uh, willingness to join through friendship in in imagining how we can partner together. You know how many years they took off? They took off 117 years off of that. Now it's estimated that it's going to be completed by 2033. Wow! So from 2150 to 2033, and if that's true in Bible translation, I think for for your space, Mm -hmm. what would it look like to have uh, a, a dream uh, that there would be no kids without a home. Mm-hmm. Um, and and that number, as it currently stands, being an unacceptable number, mm-hmm. that's that's impossible for any one organization oh, to yeah. to have that dream. but maybe uh, if if churches, maybe, if funders, maybe if there was a collective vision to say, let's get that off the list. We've seen that in foster care. There have been a group of organizations that have come together in churches saying, let's clear the waiting list because no kid should be without a home. Um, I wonder what that would look like in the space of poverty alleviation. What would it look like for every entrepreneur that had a business, had a dream to have a safe place, to have a savings account, to have access to a loan, and to have coaching from someone that is going to be cheering them on? That's that's beyond Hope International. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's it's beyond any one organization, but maybe, just maybe, we could dream bigger dreams if we force ourselves into relationship and friendship, and that to me is kind of the fun part of, of thinking through this, was those types of examples, I think there's more and more of them. Just yesterday I had a call with someone involved in youth ministry, and uh, looking at the stats of how many kids are walking away Uh, from faith and and saying collectively, how do we change that? Um, And and so I imagine this whole conversation of collective impact, I think it is pastime for the church to really engage in these conversations and to imagine dreams and plans that are impossible to accomplish alone.
1: Yep, absolutely. No, and I I talk about that all the time as far as You know, I often kind of use the example of three plus three when you're not working together could actually equal zero. You could be destroying, destroying each other's work. You'd be destructive. You know, you could go to ask for that funding and the guy who might give $10 million is discouraged by three people coming to him and says, nope, not going to give anything because you guys, I mean, you guys figure it out on your own and then I'll come, you know, and whereas if you're actually creating synergies and working together, three times three could equal 10 million, you know, I mean, and, and that's. That's something that, that's critical. The other thing uh, I, w- I, would, I didn't want to neglect to mention there, there is uh, a new podcast rooting for rivals podcast that has a, it's a six part series, I believe, and might be more, I don't know. Um, but as of now, it's going to be six episodes and, and actually that story of the seed company and, and, uh, and, uh, the Bible translation is, is on the second episode with a couple folks and they're, they're, they're speaking of how that, how that has come to pass. And it's so encouraging. And, uh, I mean, Peter did a great job firing us up with the story. But to hear those guys talking about it is, is really, I actually listened to it right when I landed yesterday. I um, was finally able to download it in country. So um, yeah, it's something that we need to really, really make sure we can uh, figure out how we can best work together. And you're talking about, you know, poverty alleviation and orphan care. And I mean, as we've talked about over and over, and in fact, we're writing. The book together. So it's talking about the interconnectedness of all of that. And if we, when we really start seeing the Bible translations, a part of that too, because that's discipleship. And if we're not discipling these kids and these older, these men and women and their identities, we're not going to be able to, you know, change worldviews that are causing poverty. We're not going to be able to change worldviews that are causing trafficking. We're not going to be able to really come into situations. Um, And so to really even broaden it beyond collaborating, I mean, we got so much work to do because we got to collaborate within. And, mm-hmm. and within our silos, we got to collaborate, and then we got to break those silos down and collaborate outside the silos. And we need to, you know, and so it's just this, this. But it starts with, it starts with a little bit, you know, it starts with a step. And you know, then if we can, if we can start doing that in our organizations, heck, maybe someday we can have churches collaborating together. I mean, how cool would that be? Um, <laughs> so no, there are some great stories of that too. But on the whole, I mean, imagine if we had a unified church. It's, it's just you know, to, to think of what we can do is just, is just exciting. Um, because I see, I see glimpses of it, um, going on, uh, today. And as, and as your book, I love how you brought it together and put them into one, one place where we can just go to, to see some, not just encouraging stuff. That's just a, uh, not just ear candy. If you're listening to it or eye candy, if you're reading it, but something that you can actually, you know, learn from and be encouraged to act on. Um, with some real life examples of what that looks like to actually uh, partner with someone. So, um, anything to add before we move on to a couple other things before we finish up?
0: I just appreciate you, you are putting the ideas into practice uh, and, and generously uh encouraging uh your podcast listeners to check out the other that's that's countercultural and it's it's uh, awesome and I do appreciate I mean everything that I've seen you do every book uh that you have worked on uh you actively are extending the invitation to other individuals uh, to participate in that. And I think that is what I hope at someday becomes normative. Um, mm-hmm. I hope that that is the approach, this idea that, uh, well, of course we can't do it alone. Of course, right. we are stronger together. Of course, there's no such thing as uh, just you. It, it's far more compelling to talk about we. Right. Um, and so I really appreciate the way that you, uh, even on this in this conversation, are modeling that uh, attribute of, Again, we call it the rooting for rivals type approach, but you are modeling it, uh, which is more important than talking about it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. No, I mean, it's something that we talk about all the time on this. And, you know, uh, yeah, in fact, I, I think I talked about it. Anyway, it doesn't really – I don't know what I was thinking of up there, but thank you. Thank you for that. It's encouraging. No, it really is encouraging to – and we need encouragement to keep doing it, right? Because sometimes it gets discouraging and we're tired and we're wanting to just not – not bother with that, because it is a lot of work. Um, but it is it, not only necessary, but it's so much more um, powerful and uh, long term encouraging uh, to be on the same team with others. But I do have a question about this. I mean, and this is something that I ask myself sometimes, because, you know, sometimes people take advantage of you. Sometimes people, you know, you know, you don't want to become a doormat to, 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 to certain things. And, and especially with, again, going back to certain personalities might struggle in this. But is there a limit? On how much we should share with open hands, on how much we should collaborate, and you know, uh, you know, in what, how can we be wise, um, in the, in the uh, open-handedness, and in the, really just kind of open source idea and concept of collaboration to make sure that we're protecting, um, you know, the the work that we're, you know, that we are doing, so as so we don't want to go into a collaboration that's supposed to be life giving and synergistic and have it actually be destructive. And so how, what are some wise ways to actually go into a collaboration that you've seen work um, and that you could kind of encourage our, our uh, listeners with?
0: Yeah. So I think there's probably a difference between what is our posture and our attitude. Uh, and what are the practices that Mm -hmm. we do? Mm -hmm. And so I think starting from the heart, uh, there's probably some work that we all can do to say, I, I want to make sure that I am thinking more about the king. I'm seeking first the kingdom of God as opposed to seeking first what's best for my organization. There's probably more that we can do to identify uh, the pride that stops us from more being more generous with other organizations or whatever it is. So I think there is probably some work on the heart attitude and the posture that we take But even after we've done that work, that doesn't mean that the end result is we partner with anyone who sends us an email. Right. uh, LinkedIn. Absolutely. (laughs) Right. It doesn't mean that uh, we necessarily say yes to every – opportunity. And I think there is uh, that's where the nuance and that's where you can't be prescriptive. You can maybe talk uh, in general that we all want to grow in these areas of generosity and collaboration. Uh, But the hard work is then in the discernment process of saying, is this one of these opportunities that is the right opportunity? And there's there's different levels of what that means. One of the things that it meant for us is that we wanted to open source our kind of materials, our model, our methodology to anyone else that that would uh, want to learn about uh, how we do this and how the organization is structured. And so we simply mm-hmm. made an uh, open source um, available for a lot of the materials that we had developed. Um, so that's something that we did. What we do not do uh, is, uh, you know, there's an organization that would love for us to partner with them in pick a country um we don't have the opportunity to implement with excellence um everywhere and so uh, we say no to the vast majority of kind of formal partnership requests that are in places where we're not currently uh able to serve because if we expand so much we dilute our ability to implement well and then we actually undermine our credibility right and so it actually could have this counter um Yeah. Saying yes to every opportunity uh, means you're probably doing a lot of things with mediocrity as opposed to focus on what really is the core and doing it well. So I think that's that's the level of nuanced conversation that is uh, impossible to talk about how every organization should apply this. And it's more to say these are some examples where there have been the right levels of collaboration. Uh, This is an example that we might want to learn from. But it certainly is not an argument to say yes to every invitation, because that probably would leave you frazzled and doing uh, a lot of things, but doing them uh, maybe not very well.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think it, it can also be something that's directly into your, you know, to your point, it could be directly within your vi- your mission and everything that you're doing. Um, but it's just too broad for what you're able to do. And it's not in your wheelhouse. You're not the right steward for that, whatever that is. And I, IJM went through a similar thing, you know, they were going gangbusters at the, at the early days, and they were going into any, any, you know, request from whatever country, they'd go in and they'd work with the people and they'd bust down doors and rescue kids and go into government, you know, go into the, law, the legal system and try to change everything. And then they realized, we can't be doing that all the time. As we grow, we have to focus. In order to be the best we can be, we have to focus. And I think that, that was so wise. And, um, you know, and some people got upset and how come you're not helping us? And they just had to be very firm in their, you know, understanding of what their limits were. And I think that's, those are great life skills to have, but also organizationally, we need to be able to do that too. Um, another question, um, in the, in the, in the book, you had a a chapter on working with, or a part a section on how we can work with people we disagree with on fundamental issues. Um, and not but while not compromising our firmly held values and beliefs. Um, what does that look like? <laughs> yeah, uh,
0: so there were some great examples that we found there of unlikely uh, unlikely friends. And, and this is almost the uh, Abraham Lincoln uh, team of rivals right. uh, the book, uh, his approach of intentionally bringing in people that he disagreed with uh, his his political uh, rivals. and yet, they had some shared goals. They had a shared agenda, and uh, and 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 so trying to learn what does that actually look like uh, on an organizational level. And uh, you know there are some crazy partnerships out there that that have been wonderful in in uh, modeling that it is possible to still stay true to your convictions and beliefs while still having a collective impact. You can believe in the importance of. All kids uh, having uh, a reading level by third grade Mm -hmm. uh, without and you can have partnerships with a variety of organizations without endorsing everything that the other organization stands for. Um, And so clearly defined objectives, clearly defined goals and and uh, you're probably going to take some heat from it. Uh, because there are some people that want to have just such rigid uh, categories that any partnership would be a watering down of your core conviction or belief. But I I don't think that's necessarily true. And I think it's actually a wonderful opportunity to develop some friendships uh, around shared goals and objectives. And I think about the Luis Palau uh, organization where they go in and they have their uh, very clear presentation of the gospel but they also have uh, the service opportunities where they're serving alongside a wide variety of other uh, organizations and partners and, and with a very clear goal that we're gonna serve and we're gonna bless this community. And so those are the types of examples that we're really interested to learn from is how do you still stay true to who you are While still finding areas of collaboration that are typically designed around very clearly articulated goals and projects and outcomes that allow you uh, to say, we differ, we differ wildly, but we have this shared commitment and we're going to together figure out how we can play a part in seeing that objective come to to fruition.
1: Yeah, that's something that uh, I actually, a few episodes ago, we had a a recommendation of... um, that I made was it wasn't a specific book or podcast or anything else. It was just, we need to listen to read things that we know we're going to disagree with to create, to help us. And especially with a guy like me, who's not like empathy is not my normal wiring. It's not my just, I don't ooze empathy as I'm, as I'm going through life. And my wife would be the first to confirm that fact, but to work on your empathy, to work on, to build it. Empathy is a learned it's a, it's learned behavior. It's not, it's not wired, you know, firmly in, in who you are. So, so I think that's something that we need to be able to do. And as you talk about there too, when you learn to understand someone's position on something you disagree with, you know, vehemently, you see the humanness behind them too, which then hopefully will allow you to really want to learn more from them. Whereas if you just peg them in a box of, there, whatever issue you disagree with them on, you ignore the 98% of the things you agree on. And a good friend of mine, I think I may have already talked about this on the show, but a good friend of mine uh, does uh, mediation in the Middle East, you know, talk about tough job. He was also in the, the undersecretary of state assigned to the Eastern Europe during the cold war. So this is a guy that, you know, he knows how to kind of get in the middle of conflict. That's pretty deeply rooted And some pretty, you know, obvious, hardcore disagreements and fundamental belief, you know, gaps. And I said to him, how in the world do you do mediation in the Middle East with these, you know, different Muslim groups and, you know, Christians and Muslims and Jews and Palestinians and, I mean, all these different people. And he just said, Phil, he said, we start with what they agree on. Because I just go in and talk about their families. Wow! Talk about who they are, their dreams. They, you know, they have hopes. They all are human beings. They have mm-hmm. lots of things in common. And then once they see that they're actually human beings that they're working with, it changes everything. Yeah. And so it's simple yet ridiculously difficult and complex in a lot of instances because we're in such a polarized politicized you know social media culture that is you know throw a bomb and there's no repercussions for it right I mean a uh, figurative not literal um, although that happens too unfortunately in our world today um, but to be able to understand that like you said we have not only so much in common but so many things that we want to have happen. I mean, you can go work with a Muslim to love children well and not, you know, I mean, yeah, obviously there's fundamental religious and worldview differences, but can you help go in and, you know, love a child? Absolutely. There's no reason you can't do that together. And then maybe you'll actually be able to encourage each other in some ways that you never thought you'd be able to. And so as we get to know people And you know Rooted in relationship But some of that just takes Listening to something And I I know I'm going to get Some flack for this In the next I don't know if it's the next episode Or a few episodes from now We're going to be having A series on abortion And I'm purposely having You know Both sides You know uh, uh, Episcopalian priest Who's Who is uh, Pro-choice You know Wrote a book called Pro-choice and Christian And then A uh, You know Human coalition Brian Fisher Is going to be on and then we're going to have them have a conversation with each other. And so it's something that is really important for us. To your point, there, you, know, you can vehemently disagree. And I do. I mean, my position is very clear. I've made it very clear. I mean, but uh, you can vehemently disagree with a pro-choice person if you're pro-life. And yet agree that after birth, we need to love the kids better than we are currently. And I think that's kind of a lot of people are pro-choice because they say, you're not loving the kids after. So why in the world should we carry our baby to term? It's a great point. Very fair point. So that's, those are the types of things that are really hard. They're really, really hard because we're so, they are emotionally charged and they're also politicized. So you add those things together and then no one wants to talk about them because of those two things. They don't, they want to have a nice dinner party that doesn't get heated but the problem is, the more we don't talk about it, it's like when it festers, when when an issue festers in someone's mind and and heart for five years, and then it comes out as something completely different, and they just you know, they just lay it lay lay it all out there, and you're like, that was a very minor thing you yelled at me about, but it was because of pent up anger, and frustration. So, anyway, that's that's something that uh, you know, it's it's really important for us to do that, and I I. Uh, I really appreciated that, uh, that section of the book. And I think it's really important for us in the work that we're doing um, around the world because we do have so many cross-cultural experiences that if we don't go into that and actually understand, we will make a lot of assumptions. And I think we'll also reject um, potential opportunities before they even start because of our preconceived notions. So that's something that, uh, yeah, it's really important, I think, for all of us to, to think about and remember. Well, man, th- this, this always goes way too fast. I, I can't believe we've been talking as long as we have, but I know we need to wrap it up here. But is, is there something other than Rooting for Rivals, which I'm sure you've read six times since it's been released. Um, is there anything that you've been reading lately or something that you've been listening to or watched that's encouraged you and helped you to kind of understand how you can do this work we're talking about better?
0: Oh, man. There's so many. The last two uh, that I've read are um, uh, Austin Channing um, and trying to figure out uh, the issue of race in America right now and especially within the church. And wow, is that a powerful, powerful book and message. Uh, and then, uh, the gospel comes with a house key, uh, this idea of hospitality, uh, and the impact that it has of just opening up our doors. Um, yeah. So those are the, those are the last, uh, two, but I love reading and there's no shortage. And, um, I could probably look over here. It looks like you have got some books behind you on your couch. I got some books behind me here and uh, probably come up with a whole bunch of other recommendations as well right. on that. But, uh, Phil, thank you for having me. I yeah. just, yeah, so grateful for you as a friend and a brother and, and really consider you a, uh, a partner in the gospel uh, in right. this work. So, so, so grateful for you.
1: Absolutely. Thank you. Love doing all this with you. And, and uh, you know, I know also Peter on his uh, blog, was it PeterKGreer.com? Is that right? Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah. He, every, you, you have a list of books that you've read or that encourage you throughout the year. I know you've done that a few times. So you can go check out his blog, and it, there's so much good stuff there, too. Um, and, uh, and also on the, I, I neglected to mention earlier the podcast. The first of the rooting for rivals podcast is Peter, and and uh, Jill, right, and yep. and Chris, yep. and uh, the three of them talking about the book. So you can get a lot more info on the book. And the best way you can get a lot of info on the book is by buying the book. So and reading it. Actually, don't just buy it and not read it. Buy it, read it, and then buy it again and give it to somebody. And then keep doing that and encouraging them to do that because these are ideas that we really need to be living out. So folks out there, thanks so much again for the download. Thanks for uh, being a part of this conversation, for engaging this. I just pray as I always do that you'll take everything that you're learning on this podcast, everything that you're learning um, everywhere else that you're going and you'll you'll really pray and ask God to help you to use it all to know how you can love orphan and vulnerable children better and better each and every day. Thanks a lot. Have a great week.